Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Aaron, 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 it is Valentine's Day. I know this doesn't go live until tomorrow, but we are taping here on Valentine's. What a beautiful day to send you my love. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond with that, Kurt, but uh, after uh, 20 years of knowing you, I'll, I'll take that, I guess, as a compliment. But to keep this uh, show in the PG range and above, I will happily move on to Bass Edge once again. is brought to us by our proud partners proud to have them certainly megaware keel guard been there since day one and certainly it's the first do-it-yourself keel protector in my book it's the only one that's out there uh, yeah. 3M adhesive you know it's it's all the stuff that you've heard us talk about before but you've just got to go to keelguard.com check out all their great products the flex step the skate guard everything that you need as you're looking for those new boats or maybe new to you uh, it's that time to trick them out, right, Kurt? Yeah, that's right, Aaron. And in the spirit of love here with this episode, we are going to make sure that we let everybody know the Bass Edge promotion that's going on with KeelGuard.com. You can get 15% off any MegaWare products at KeelGuard.com. All you got to do is put in the promo code BASSEDGE, all one word, in capital letters to get 15% off. And look, let's say you've got a Hamby's Beach Bumper when you bought your boat and you don't really need the keel guard right now but you do need a flex step skeg guard scuff buster maybe you got a pontoon out on the dock you seen the pontoon guard from megaware <laughs> pretty sweet so lots of great products all over the place from megaware make sure you check those out and get that 15 percent off promo code all capital letters bass edge in one word aaron we've got a cool show coming up you know a little kick back to uh rayburn gonna be talking to that champion there which we alluded to in the previous episode with bill lowen and if you haven't heard the bill lowen episode you better go back to that one because he's talking about shallow square billing and the ins and outs of that process and i'm excited to get this show on the road aaron let's do it we got a tackle tip coming up right here from protecttheharvest.com the protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with bill lowen Hey everyone, we're going to share a tip with you today on how fast you progress down the bank while you're cranking. You know, I get asked that a lot. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Listen to the bite that you get. Every bite you get is a piece of the puzzle. Some days are going to want that crankbait moved really, really fast. Other days they're going to want that crankbait fished very slow and very methodical where you're going to have to pick the cover apart. If you listen to every single bite you get, the fish are going to tell you exactly what they want every day when you're on the water. So don't miss any pieces of the puzzle. Some days you're going to fish very, very fast. Other days you're going to fish very, very slow. So by listening to the fish, they're going to tell you exactly what they want. Great tip, Bill. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, Aaron, there you have it. You got all the national tours have kicked off, and it sounds like you're getting your butt out there on the water now. Too little chilly here mid-February, but you're getting ready to go, ain't you? I am, and uh, it's uh, stop number two on the Central Pro Elites. I'll be leaving in about a week heading out for Table Rock. Very, very excited, just given the time of year and certainly familiarity with that body of water. But I'm, I'm kind of watching, you know, Kurt, we've had a lot of snow this year, uncharacteristic, uh, a lot of cooler temps, so snow melt cools down the water. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm still going to be exploring, kind of trying to exploit a swim bait, jerk bait, grub style for those suspended fish. Maybe even mix a, a spoon in there, a slab spoon. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, perhaps if I get down there and the water temperature is a little warmer or the fish are uh, maybe keying in on some of the crawdads you can't put down the wiggle wart if the water gets right that wiggle wart and uh the jig are deadly on table rock as well yeah no doubt and, and i'll tell you what you know you mentioned it being cold there in the mid part and in the northeast and the midwest part of the u.s and it's actually been a little mild down in texas and florida we've had a cold front or two but um overall it's been kind of mild and honestly you know mid-february we're already looking to springtime <laughs> like it or not it's happening it's going to be happening down here in texas and florida real quickly so uh as we've all seen it has been going on so um you know what i want to do aaron is i don't want to spend too much time on some of these other topics that we usually cover we got a great guy coming in a guy that's been with part of bass edge since almost the inception back in the tv days so let's get terry bolton on the line he's going to talk to us a little bit about the rayburn event and how that came together talk about some cold water cranking tactics you might be able to use some of these taxes in your tournament coming up soon let's check this stuff out from terry bolton right here in the lucas oil angler spotlight hi i'm professional angler stetson blaylock this is Bassmaster elite series pro bill lowen this is flw ray Evac champion brian schmidt this is professional angler joe sancho this is skeeter yamaha pro dave Matsu. stay right here with aaron and kurt on bass edge radio know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough 
and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. Our featured angler in this episode recently got the big W at the first FLW Tour event of 2019. Competing in his 24th year on the FLW Tour, we are lucky to have with us FLW Tour champion Terry Bolton. Awesome to have you on the show, Terry. Well, thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here and do this interview and actually hear you say all those words. I'm sure it is. And, you know, for Bass Edge Nation that may not be aware, Terry, there's quite a bit of history between Bass Edge and yourself. Bass Edge Radio, episode 30 and number 50, if you can believe that. And then certainly we did a show together, a TV show in season two Mm -hmm. down on Clarks Hill. So a lot's happened since then. Um, Wait, 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 wait. Real quick, guys. (laughs) Aaron, how do you take the master of ledge fishing to a herring lake? What were you guys thinking? (laughs) Uh, Well, let's just say it went as good as can be expected didn't it terry i mean uh, right well uh, yeah i mean i actually a blueback herring lake you know you got to run around and throw a whole bunch of lures because the bass are always moving that's what uh, i joked with you know that's why all those guys that do so well out there they're also skinny that's what i always <laughs> used to joke about because you got to run around and make five casts here and four there and you got it's like a workout trying to catch bass on a herring lake that's right. So a little bit out of the normal element, but uh, did well. And, and certainly everybody can check that out through uh, those DVDs are still available on BassEdge.com. But we had a good time and, and certainly learned a lot in doing that. But, you know, present day, you have won at every level in the FLW organization, BFL champion, Costa champion, and FLW tour champion. How does it feel to seal the deal at Sam Rayburn? Man, it feels really good because I really kicked around pretty heavily at the end of last year, retiring and you know, retiring from traveling and tour events. And I kind of pondered back. I thought, well, maybe I let my opportunities slip by, you know, maybe my good times are behind me. Maybe I, you know, the times I let tournaments slip away, maybe that's just what it was. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, I've had a good career. I always wanted to win, but I, I will say this, you know, I had so many good events on Kentucky Lake and was always known as a Kentucky Lake guy, I almost wanted my first major win to not be at Kentucky Lake. I, right. I really did. I think it's because, you know, most anglers that grow up or fish a home body of water and a major tournament comes there, if they do win, everybody goes, oh, well, you know, he was supposed to win there. You know, he, he lives there, you know. So I really kind of, it's really more special to me. It came you know, on one of the most iconic lakes in the United States, you know, Sam Rayburn, that's, you know, legendary for bass fishing and bass tournaments. And so many good fishermen come out of Texas. And if you ever get to go down there and fish, you can see why. Yeah, no doubt. Terry, 24 years you've been in this industry. Looking back at some of your older records, that FLW bass stuff that you fished in the past, it looks like it all began, you know, kind of in that mid-90s time frame, really taking the plunge into, you know, some of the invitationals and Mm -hmm. costas and FLW tours and all that kind of stuff back in 1995. Right. There's a lot of anglers coming up, a lot of anglers that have been involved in this industry for three, five years, and they struggle to kind of make it along, you know, working their way Mm -hmm. through the industry. You've been in it, again, for a long time. What does it take 
what kind of advice can you give folks to have stability going through this industry and continue being relevant as you've done so well your entire career? That's a tough question because when I started and now the kids that are starting today, things are different. You know, I think the biggest entry fee we had in those days was I think a top 150 or a tour event was around twelve fifteen hundred dollars So things are more expensive now. You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, I was fortunate enough. I went to college, graduated with a degree. That would be the first thing that I would tell somebody, have an option, have something in your back pocket, a trade, an education, something. When you start out, you know, something, maybe even you have to work part time, maybe, you know, it's something that'll help give you stability. And, you know, be honest with people. Most of the sponsors I have, I've been with for a long, long time. You know, I've been able to promote products that I believe in. And I think when you show that loyalty to sponsors and, you know, I really had an opportunity to showcase a lot of my sponsors in this event that I've been with a long time that stood by Terry Bolton when he had a great year. And they stood by me when, you know, you'd look down the charts at the end of the year and you go, hey, did you fish this year? You know, what happened to you? You know, so, you know, and you're going to have, you know, George Cocker and I, you know, fortunate enough to talk with a lot of great fishermen through the years. And George Cocker summed it up the best for me if anybody knows George he's pretty laid back and George said well you're going to have good years and you're going to have bad years and and that is the truth and I'd be silly to say that I haven't had doubts at times and sat out there in the boat and thought man I got a college degree and my parents worked hard for that money what am I doing and and that's all part of it <laughs> you have to have you have to check your ego at times and be honest with people I think honesty with people through the years get you a long way and have you some things to fall back on don't get too high and don't get too low and that's something that you don't understand until you experience it but the highs in this sport are miles high and the lows sometimes i mean you know they're bad so you kind of have to equal that out and uh you know sometimes don't take things so personal when things don't go your way and control the variables that you can control your equipment your line retie your line make sure your hooks are sharp control what you can control that's the biggest thing make sure your batteries are charged the simple everyday things can make a difference in the end that's great advice you know when you have those doubts and as you're going through your career what keeps you on the up end is it just man i just love bass fishing too much there's no way i can't fish anymore is it is it is it that kind of internal conversation or is it man, you know, I'm making a couple bucks, you know, if I just can continue to push through this, you know, maybe something will turn around. You know, those are the mentally straining things I think that anglers, you know, deal with because so often, Terry, and you've seen this, people fall off the face of the earth in this sport. I mean, they're like all in and they're gone, (laughs) you know, and And, uh, and, and that's what makes it so special for people and for anglers and professional anglers like yourself that create essentially an entrepreneurship with the fishing industry and have that longevity. It's not easy, is it? No. And I think if you talk to any professional bass fisherman that's done this 10 years or more, everybody's got a story about one or two times being on the edge. In other words, financially being on the edge from a bad year, a bad season, 
mentally being on the edge. I mean, I've talked to many, 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 you know, I've been fortunate enough to do this a long time and made a lot of great friends, some that have gone on to retire or, or do something else and some that are still in it. And just about every one of them has that story about, well, you know, in 2004 or, you know, 98 or 2015, you know, that was about it. But I think that's life and anything you do. The biggest thing is to, ha- you know, to keep the fun. And I look around at this last FLW tour and we have such a crop of youth coming in and um, I looked down the tank and I thought wow I remember when I was that age and fishing was live and as you get older too fishing is not I mean I I love fishing I think it's the love of fishing but as you get older it's not everything like it was in your 20s and maybe early 30s you know as you get older your priorities change but I still love to fish. I look at all the kids that are fishing now that are coming up that are, you know, so much more information and better fishermen than I was at that time. And I think, wow, the greatest thing they've got going for them is they don't know anything. You know, I always (laughs) said I was a better fisherman when I knew how to do about three or four things. It's when I learned how to drop shot, you know, shaky head and, you know, and all these other techniques. When I added all these other techniques, man, I was terrible because I'd go down the bank at a tournament and I'd throw a crankbait five cast and I'd pick my spinning rod up, throw it five cast, throw a topwater bait 10 cast, and, you know, I'd get down the end of the bank, and I'd be like, well, I didn't do anything long enough to see if I'd catch anything. So I think, you know, that's the the great part of youth. They don't know anything, you know, and they're just now developing, and, and as you develop as an angler in the beginning, you know how to do a few things. You, you do them well, and sometimes it, it works out more often than not, but as you get older and learn more, it seems you have more voices to come into your head to steer you in the wrong direction, yeah. you know. That's a very good point, Terry, and, and call it that we're getting older or wisdom or, or what have you, but I think it's part yeah. of the maturation process of an angler, you know, uh, and, and just as a person. And I think it's, you know, like Kurt said, 24 years, long time. And in, certainly we cannot do your career justice in, in this interview that we have, but what we can do is to look back to say, okay, yes, it's been 24 years in the making for you to, I guess, earn that win at the FLW tour level. But specifically, I would like to dive into the week leading up mm-hmm. to that tournament. Your practice specifically at Sam Rayburn and what ultimately led you to victory because you walked into some conditions that weren't the normal characteristics of of Rayburn with the high water and some things like that. Can you walk us through those steps that took you to the final day? When I first started my, well, actually, when I graduated college in 1994, I drove to Sam Rayburn Reservoir in February with uh, Danny Moorhead and Sean Penn who were fishing the Bass Invitational. I was not in that event, but I just graduated at Christmas time, had a degree, was planning on fishing. I was not in those invitationals at that time, but I, I, I drove down there to practice. And at the time, Rayburn was high in 94. I believe it was five, six foot high. I can't remember. It was high, not as high as it was when we were there. But anyways, we did real well Carolina rigging on the inside grass lines, you know, on the clay points, looking for where pine trees come down, you know, using a, a map. Back in those days, you had actually had a physically had a map not <laughs> on your GPS. And, uh, you know, actually driving around Sam Rayburn with a map, you know, stuck in your windshield or your console or your boat. Well, and I remember Jim, I believe it was Jim Bitter won that event, slow rolling a big spinnerbait over the hydrilla. So we came quite often through the 90s and into the 2000s for bass and FLW events. And when it was high, I always did real well on the inside grass lines, Carolina rigging. But I remembered from past history, somebody always beat me. I mean, I might finish 20th or 19th or 32nd 
you know, but somebody would always be in the top 10 or five or win it throwing a crankbait over those grass lines. So when it was announced, it was January. I knew I wanted to focus on inside grass lines with the jump the water level had had. And I knew I wanted to try to incorporate a crankbait. And I really thought my bread and butter would be a Carolina rig because that's what I always enjoyed doing. But the first day of practice I put in, I ran some old areas of Rayburn where I used to catch them back 15 years ago. And there was grass there, but I couldn't find really clean inside grass lines because of the fact of the hay grass that grows, the secondary growth on the banks with it would have been, I guess, out of the water. I couldn't really find what I was looking for. And I think I caught three bass the first day of practice. I think I caught one on a spinnerbait, one flipping, and one on a lipless crankbait out in front of the bushes. And I was like, wow, that didn't go as planned. So the next day I thought, well, I'm going to drive up to the bridge and look up in that area. And I went into Harvey Creek and I decided to set my boat in 12 to 14 feet of water that morning and use my Lake Master mapping and just kind of look for drains going into these pockets and bays and just using the map, following a contour and using my depth finder. And I started just setting that, throwing toward the bank And I caught a couple bass, and then lo and behold, I come around one point and caught four and four throws, and they were getting bigger every throw. And I said, well, okay, I found a group of fish here. You know, and I went on through the day, was able to find, I think, one more place, an inside spot, a little bare area. I think I caught a five-pounder and a a keeper and put a waypoint on that area and left. So technically, I found two places I felt like, and I found a couple areas I thought I could fish through and catch some fish. So, you know, I was pretty satisfied with that. So the third day of practice, I I rode up to Beach Basin. The first point I stopped on that morning, I catch two, and and once again, I'm just setting my boat in 12 to 14 feet of water, and the bear areas were relatively, some of them are relatively small. If you threw too far, you got into the hay grass. So it was hard to scan the sim. So I found I was more efficient fishing, actually dropping the trolling motor and covering water to find them. Going old um, school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because there was so much grass, different right. varieties on side imaging, sometimes it was, you could miss them. So I did that, found a school of fish immediately. First place I stopped, I throw twice, catch two keepers. There was a boat around the point from me, and it was kind of calm that morning. And I thought, well, I better not throw this crankbait. So I throw a Carolina rig up there first cast. One eats it. I shake it off, and I just put my waypoint on my screen and leave. And then the next point, I find a school of fish, but they were mostly, they seemed to be Kentuckys. Mm. Caught those there, and I thought, hey, this is going great. You know, I found two places here in the first 45 minutes hour of practice. This is going to be easy. And here, well, I go from 930 to 1230, and I think I caught one bass. Right. And I was like, well, hmm, okay, this isn't working real well. And finally, about one o'clock, I went out on the main lake. And I thought, well, I better see if I can find some schools of Kentuckys out deep. And I looked around out in 25, 26 feet, and I found a couple places where I could catch some spotted bass. They weren't very big. And oh, about 3 o'clock, I decided to go back into Harvey Creek. And I said, you know, I hadn't really caught anything since about 9, 30, 10 o'clock this morning. And that was on the inside grass line. I thought, these fish have got to be going to the outside edge. And so... I just start idling down a a grass line, and I see a little contour on my map, like a drain going between a little peninsula, 
and idled parallel across it. And I was in 16, 17 feet of water. The grass grew up about eight or nine foot tall, so it was a big carpet on my down imaging. And as I went across the drain, all of a sudden the grass quit like a wall, just <laughs> went to nothing. And it was a, probably a truck and boat length wide, I'm guessing. And then the grass picked back up with another wall. But in that bare area, I see like 20 or to 25 arcs on my down imaging and of course i'm about half asleep because i hadn't caught a bass since you know about <laughs> you know 11 o'clock or something you know and and i was like golly i said gosh that's bass well i take my cursor mark a waypoint where i saw the fish turn my engine off spin the boat to the outside of the grass which was around 21 feet and i throw a crankbait toward the waypoint and i can't remember the first or second cast crankbait loads up and i catch a fish around six pounds and I was like, ooh, that's good. So I, I let that fish go. I throw back. I catch a keeper. And I thought, well, you probably shouldn't throw this up there anymore. So I throw a Carolina rig in there. goes to the bottom. I start dragging it. I don't get a bite. I reel my Carolina rig in. And it had a bunch of that black, hairy junk mm-hmm. that gets in grass lakes. It just gets all over my lizard. I had a big, black, hairy lizard. I pull it off, throw it back up there. Same thing. And I thought, well, you can't throw a Carolina rig here. And right. I pick a crankbait up, throw back in, catch another keeper, mark a waypoint where my boat was setting, and I leave. And I go on to find another school of fish out on the edge of a real sharp point. Actually, I found two more schools of fish that evening on a crankbait and a Carolina rig, but they were deeper fish. They were out on the outer edge of the grass and 18 to 22 feet. And, you know, I'd make three or four throws, get three or four bites, and just leave. So I thought, well, you know, heck, I seem to have like six or seven places I feel good about in Harvey Creek and a couple places in here I think I can fish through, and I've got two in Beach Basin. So I guess I'm going to Harvey Creek. (laughs) You know, know, I guess I'm going to spend most of the day in here. And, of course, I do, and I start on that place I found the second day where I told you I caught four and four throws and I start there and actually the fish had moved a little bit in on the point. I started on my waypoint and went to the right and missed them. They had gone actually a little bit left from what they were in practice. Miss them for about the first 15 minutes or so, come back around and I find them and I sit there and catch them every cast for an hour, you know, but they weren't big. They were keepers. And, uh, you know, I probably had 12 pounds when I left. And I go to where I caught the deeper grass place I found the last day of practice. I fish it. I don't get a bite. So I go to my third spot. I catch them every cast there for about an hour and 15 minutes. I call up to around 15 pounds, and I'm feeling pretty good because my goal was 15 to 17 pounds. I go back to my second stop, and I'm throwing and throwing where I'd seen these fish on the depth finder. And I'm not catching anything, and I'm thinking, man, what happened to these? I was really kind of counting on this well all of a sudden i look down on my down imaging i'm in like 17 18 feet of water and i go oh i'm on top of them You're sitting on right. they had moved out the drain they had moved out toward the outer edge the outer corners of the grass and i backed the boat up two boat links and proceeded to catch 20 pounds and 10 ounces and culled everything I had in live well, and I left at 1230. That's one of the most amazing things about that particular event was, and I've heard you say it two or three times just in your summation of what happened during practice and, and then throughout the event. They were really small areas, and it, you could miss yeah. them by 15 feet, and you caught nothing. And 15 yeah, feet the other way, point. and you caught 15 in a row. So was that a product of just wintertime fishing? And how would an angler that's going to the lake, you know, in the next couple weekends, how do they combat that? 
you know, is it you just got to fish slower and be really precise or is it just electronics oriented? How do you think the best way is to combat that? Because it seems like in the wintertime, they just get so grouped up. Yeah, and I think, too, the little area, the vegetation, you know, they do get very specific. Of course, back in the day when we were ledge fishing and we run into those, you know, situations, I was just raised, you know, on Kentucky Lake during the heydays of ledge fishing. And, you know, used to, you'd go down to ledge fishing and you'd catch one. Well, you would always just, as soon as you'd catch one, somebody would just toss a buoy over the backside of the boat because we didn't have waypoints, you know, so that way, you know, if the wind was blowing, you knew when you got back to that buoy, those fish were somewhere within a cast of that buoy. So nowadays, what you can do is when you catch a bass, reach down and hit waypoint. As soon as you hook that fish, mark a spot on your GPS. That's your buoy now. And if you do get blown off or you fight the fish in and and you do move – because that way you can always fish back around to that point on your screen and try to determine, is there a school of fish here? Was that a fluke? I mean, I do it all the time. I've got lots of waypoints on Kentucky Lake where I'll mark stuff, and I don't ever catch anything, or I've caught one. But it's just something I've just, through habit, fishing offshore, I'm always real big to mark something. If you sure. Or you can line up trees, triangulate like we used to. Now, a lot of, a lot of people, you don't have to do that now because we have such great electronics. But right. that's something you can do. Just as soon as you hook a fish, mark that point on your screen. That way, you know, if you continue to fish down that point or down that ledge or down whatever it is, you can turn around and come back to that area and just check and make sure there's not a big school of fish there that you might have missed by a cast or a boat length of a cast. Great information there. Terry, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to power pull down, take a pause in the action. Bass Edge will return right after these messages. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio, presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with FLW Tour champion Terry Bolton in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil high-performance marine products, oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Terry, you mentioned before we went to break fishing points or drains mm-hmm. like we did at Sam Rayburn a lot. And, you know, obviously you did it masterfully. But, you know, those are things that you hear about, you know, impoundments, you know, without a lot of current. And where you grew up there on Kentucky Lake, fishing ledges, lots of current, and those TVA systems. You see a lot of anglers that are used to fishing points and drains kind of get lost on those ledge lakes. Obviously, you got miles and miles and miles of those ledges versus a single point or a single drain where you're trying to hone in on some fish. How do you help the anglers that are used to fishing the Rayburns, the Toledos, the the Clarks Hills of the world go to the TVA system and break those types of systems down? It's all about the irregularities. Now, when you have a drain or a point and you have grass in the equation, it's still fishing irregularities. And even on a TVA system, it's all about irregularities. Now, in a Texas lake, a lot of times they can be a little more subtle. It can be 
an edge of the grass, a point in the grass, a bare spot in the grass. So it can be a little more subtle. And of course, people say, oh, well, you know, TVA, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, subtle too. Well, yes and no. And I still go back. My big thing, I grew up in the flasher days and I'm a dyed in the wool map guy. And, you know, Lake Master mapping is by far the best mapping that there is and, uh, you know, that we have, you know, for any TVA reservoir. And it was pretty darn good at Sam Rayburn, too. It was Mm -hmm. really good. So it's all about reading maps and understanding contours. And I was fortunate enough when I was young to have a gentleman here in Paducah that was a former civil engineer. And he taught me how to read elevations and understand elevations and depth a general understanding of that. So, you know, learning to read a map, and, you know, I joke with people about this, and used to, and I and I don't do it anymore, but used to growing up, I had a set of maps I kept in the bathroom. So whenever you went to the bathroom to do whatever business it was, you could sit there and look <laughs> at a topo map. Right. And uh, that's how I found a lot of good places to fish on Kentucky Lake that way. But, that's uh, awesome. you know, understanding your irregularities, that can be, and, and look at, you know, when it comes to TVA ledges, Look at them three-dimensionally. Everybody just pulls up, they throw at the top of the ledge, and everything is in relevance to the top of the ledge. But look at it. The fish have three different places they can position. They can position on the top, they can be down the side, and they can be at the base. In other words, where the ledge comes down and turns and starts to flatten out. So you have to look at TVA ledges three-dimensionally. Typically, post-spawn here on any TVA reservoir, they're going to be at their deepest point when they first come out because when they get done spawning, they're kind of sick. They don't feel good. They're going to go to their deepest point, and a lot of times they will suspend. That's something I tell people early on, look at the base of the ledge on a TVA reservoir. Now, as they start to feel better, they get over the spawn, they start to feed up, current runs, that's when they get on those top parts, those corners, those edges, those points leading into the current. But look for irregularities. Irregularities can be points, they can be turns, creek bends, they can be straight stretches. With When I say three-dimensionally, when you idle up on a ledge and you're zigzagging back and forth, you know, you go from 25, the top of the ledge is 10. You go back out, it's 25. You go back up, it's 10. You go back out, it's 25. You go back up, it's 7. Well, that's an irregularity. That could be a rise, even on a straight stretch, that can defer the current. The fish can sit there. The current, the fish on the TVA, they'll usually sit faced into the current, and there'll be a point or something, a high spot that will kick the current over them, so when the bait comes, they can just reach up and grab it. Gotcha. Good stuff. Hey, Terry, yeah. we're at the uh, middle of February and dealing with some colder water in most parts of the country, but what are keys to bait selection and then also retrieve style slash speed when cranking colder water? You know, I always like crankbaits with a tighter, more subtle action. And, of course, everybody knows Rapala, the Shad Raps, the DT series, they all have that subtle action. You know, some crankbaits have more tail kick as we like to call it. And I like a more subtle action crankbait, especially in the waters in the 40s or 50s. You know, once it gets up to about 54, 55, then, you know, you can kind of have a little more movement. But usually those shad or, you know, you know, if you have a shad kill on your lake, you'll notice how those fish will just barely swim or move their body. So you want crankbaits with that subtle side-to-side action. I'm still a big fan of the low gear retrieve ratio reels, the 5-to-1 lose, BB1 pros, the ones I use. At Rayburn, and I mean, I'm a big believer in for those big crankbaits as far as getting those to their maximum depth. But, you know, 
I have kind of switched over in the last few years, like to my smaller crankbaits, my DT6s and 4s, especially when I'm throwing them, you know, shallower on gravel banks or points or shallower grass lines. You know, I actually now I will use a 6 4 to 1 reel. So I kind of vary back and forth between a 5 to 1 and a 6 4 to 1, but I do like a, a slower retrieve reel uh, when it comes to early in the year. So if you're using a 6 4 to 1, you know, maybe just slow down just a hair, but you know, I'm still a big fan of the 5 to 1s. Terry, do you feel like deflection is still as important in cooler water as it is in warmer water, or how does that scenario play? You know, you hear a lot about, you know, yeah. it's so important to grind your lip into this or that. And, and I actually asked this because I noticed in watching FLW Live, at the Rayburn event, at one point, you went from a DT-14 to a DT-10. So, you know, obviously you were having success with dragging something or cranking something a little bit closer to the grass or the hard spot yeah. in the drain that you were fishing there. And then all of a sudden you made a switch as the day went on, which actually brought the bait up a little bit more shallow. Yeah. Of course, one thing we all know anywhere in colder water, no matter if we're fishing in Kentucky, Missouri, New York, Texas, bass love to suspend in cooler water. And sure. You know, I've had several times, what I notice is they like to suspend in the upper layers of water as those layers warm. And the thing I've noticed, I've done it here on Kentucky Lake before, cranking, say, chunk rock points or banks. You know, people put out brush piles, and a lot of times you'll be cranking along, and, you know, you'll if the fish are up and active, you know, they'll be up there in a couple feet of water, and you can kind of hit the rocks and catch them. But a lot of times they'll get on brush piles, they'll suspend. And a lot of times when that crankbait ticks the top of that brush pile, that's when you'll catch some of your bigger fish. So one thing I noticed at Rayburn in practice was when I idled off of those grass lines and I went out into the deeper water, I saw these big balls of bait that were suspended. And I saw predator fish around them, you know, and I thought, man, there's a lot of fish suspended. So I was throwing a 14 I was hitting the bottom, and I got to noticing where I was hooking the bass. I was hooking them underneath the jaw. So that told me that they were having to come down on my bait. And it always seems like a lot of times, especially early in the year, and you just want to barely tick the top of that grass and just try to stay barely above them. And when I made that switch from a, a 14 to a 10, you know, I don't know if you were watching live, all of a sudden those fish started getting that bait straight across their mouth and inside their mouth and you know i was missing fish with the 14 and getting them underneath the jaw and when i made that switch i think i got above them or at least right on that right level but that was my goal all week long was try to stay just above the grass or just barely tick it you know you didn't want to be rooting in it and pulling it up because then you wouldn't get a bite but you wanted to try to stay just above it and i think some of that had that's the way fish a lot of times do relate to grass but i think in the colder weather they they do that more often man Great breakdown right there. That was good. We're going to move into a listener question segment uh, brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. This question comes in, Terry, from Keith James. Keith asked this question. I thought it was a great question that you could address, especially based on uh, the Rayburn event. When you roll up on a spot or stretch that you either know or think has fish on it, what prompts you to change your initial presentation or bait? And how long do you stick with the initial tactic before you'll decide to change? Typically, when I pull up, I'm going to try to be aggressive at first. You know, I'm going to throw a crankbait or a spinnerbait or moving lipless crankbait, whatever it might be. I'm going to try to be aggressive at first and try to catch the most active fish that are there. And, you know, a, a crankbait or, you know, a moving jerkbait, something like that, a lot of times, you know, if, if that fish is active, he's going to run out there and tackle it. But And also those faster-moving, aggressive baits, they can trigger bass to bite that maybe aren't active. So 
I'm going to try that at first and then kind of judge, you know, if I have some history there, if I know, well, there was a bunch of fish here and I throw my crankbait and I throw my, you know, whatever it is, I throw that for say 15, 20 minutes and I don't get a bite. Then I may want to think, well, you know, maybe these fish have, you know, they're less aggressive or they've more down on the bottom. Then that's when I want to switch over. I may throw a jig. I may throw a Carolina rig, a worm, you know, just depending on what it is. And a lot of times what I'll do then, if I can throw one of those bottom baits and say, maybe for instance, I do get a fish to bite and I get another fish to bite. And a lot of times that will get the fish active or get them excited. Then I may turn around and pick up a crankbait and throw right back in there and see, cause if, if I get those fish to feeding, a lot of times that'll trigger other fish to feed. I may pick up an aggressive bait, throw it in there. And a lot of times you may get them to biting a crankbait. Now I have seen it before you throw in there with a worm or a jig, catch two or three and throw your crankbait in there. You don't catch anything. And then you got to go back to a worm or a jig. And that's just the mood of the fish. But that's kind of the way I try to be aggressive in the beginning. And then after 15, 20 minutes, then I'll start to make some changes. And then I'll start to think, okay, are they not as active? Have they moved out on the end of something? I usually give it a good 15 to 30 minutes before I start changing a whole lot. Yeah, that's good stuff. Terry, it's kind of like me with Kurt. You know, when we start out the interviews of a morning, I got to kind of see what kind of mood he's in, you know, so I can gauge. Uh, so anyway, but hey, thanks for answering that question for Keith. And Keith, uh, certainly remember, we need another item from you, and that is to contact us through our social media presence or certainly log on to BassEdge.com. Click on the Claim Your Prize section. Give us your personal information, and we will get that Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And, of course, a reminder to all Bass Edge listeners, keep shooting in those questions to us. Love to see them on our Facebook and Instagram media pages. You can also fill out the form at BassEdge.com to have your question answered by an outstanding pro like Terry Bolton. Or shoot us that email to support at BassEdge.com. We want to hear your questions. Get them answered right here on the show. Well, Terry, as mentioned before, great having you uh, here on the show to catch up. And for uh, everybody that wants to see you and I in our much younger years, uh, now they can actually <laughs> go back and uh, and get that episode on season two. But yeah. any, any uh, I had final... more hair and it wasn't as gray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I find myself shaving a lot more now because my beard's way more gray. <laughs> uh, but any, any uh, final comments for Bass Edge Nation? You know, I had tons of people that reached out to me this last week and that I've met through the years of bass fishing, different circuits. I've heard from outdoor riders to co-anglers to old bass pro fishermen that have retired. I just appreciate that. You know, anybody that's ever done this any amount of time that's ever sacrificed, you know, fought and kicked and cussed and cried to try to do this knows, you know, I've been trying for this for 30 years and I was an overnight success last week. (laughs) You know, it, it, it does mean a lot to me. I appreciate all the well wishes and, uh, all I was upset in high school. All I ever wanted to do was catch a bass and do it for a living and i've been blessed to do it for a long time and i finally won my first national event and it's been a lot of hard work and you know it, don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't do something or you know don't try to dream because i'm a prime example that uh, it can happen you know it just takes a lot of work and sometimes you're going to have doubt but you can persevere through anything that's it terry hey we're going to send you off with our final segment four last questions for you what is the last picture you took on your cell phone I believe it was of my dog. Very cool. What is your favorite television show? Man, that's a tough one. I seem to be watching a lot of cop shows right now. I don't know what's going on with me. (laughs) All right. 
Who did you look up to when you started competitive fishing? There were several. I'll name three. Rick Clun, Larry Nixon, and Denny Brower. Very nice. Your number one goal. Now, I'm sure you've checked one goal off the list already for 2019 and early in 19, might I add. What is the number one goal for your remainder of 2019 fishing season? My number one goal, well, there's probably two. The number one goal is to have fun. 2018, I didn't have any fun, and I had a pretty miserable year. And that was my goal going into Rayburn. I did that the entire event. Even in practice, when you'd go four or five hours, wouldn't get a bite. I still had fun. And with anything in life, any job you do, sometimes it becomes not fun. That's just human nature. My goal is to have fun and obviously make the Forest Wood Cup. But that's a goal of mine every year. Awesome. Well, Terry, congratulations again on the big win. Look forward to seeing you at the uh, following event on tour soon. Bass Edge Radio will be back in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Looking at uh, kind of the lineup that we had with Bill Lowen on the February 1st episode and now with Terry Bolton, it was a great tie-in because some of the things that Bill had to say, Terry picked right up where Bill left off. And then I really appreciated how he walked us through his practice and how he found those fish, how he adjusted bass were going down on the bait, kind of missing some. And then when he went to a shallower running crankbait, it really, really paid a huge dividend. Yeah, yeah, a huge dividend in 125k. <laughs> That's a big dividend. So you know, we talk about presentation. We talked about winter patterns. How easy it is to miss some fish. You know, attention to details. Mixing up the presentation this time of year is super critical. Really, really, really critical. You still have a lot of winter patterns going on in most of the U.S., but you've got some fish moving into this pre-spawn staging areas and kind of getting ready to, um, you know, just kind of transition more into springtime activity. So you also saw a lot of fish caught at Rayburn, which we didn't talk about a whole lot with Terry because that's not how he caught them, but spooning, deep jigs, drop shot, a lot of stuff like that also going on there. The cool thing about wintertime fishing is that when you get on them, you are freaking on them. 
I mean, usually it's a pile of fish located there because they're in an area where there's bait around and they're on a specific piece of structure or cover. Specifically, it's a big piece of cover. Now, if you're picking off some shallow fish, you know, like Bill Lowen talked about last episode, you know, it's more of a onesie here, onesie there and, and catching a fish here and there. But when you're targeting some more of this mid-depth and deep water aspects, like we talked about with Terry, totally different scenario. Man, it's a lot of fun to catch them that time of year. And, you know, I thought he broke it down specifically to how to target and locate these big schools of bass in the winter. No doubt. And I liked the old school approach when he talked about the maps. And, and he basically said, he said, you know what, in this particular instance, uh, he had to go old school and use his rod and reel to locate the bass. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we talk a lot about electronics and, and the advantages of Lorance. But in this case, uh, he went old school on him. You know, with that, I think, Gert, we need to shut this down. I want to encourage everybody, if you're not familiar with BassEdge.com, be sure, head on over there after the episode. Check out all of the articles, the videos all the tips that uh, you can stay abreast with everything that's going on Bass Edge through our social media. Certainly the BassEdge.com store where Jay McNamara's book is, the videos, the TV series, where Terry and and many of the other great anglers like yourself, Kurt, are featured. But uh, regardless, we are out of time. It is off to the March 1st episode in a couple weeks. Episode 299 as we quickly approach the 300th episode of Bass Edge Radio. Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yes. Kurt? I will uh, say goodbye to you as I am going to go finish packing tackle. Have a great week, everybody. We will see you uh, episode 299, March 1st. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. Adios. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 